Uh, right, good uh, morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to today's uh, podcast. Uh, this is Adrian Boothie here, Head of Trading at TrendSignal, uh, and uh, I'm joined with uh, my colleague and Chief Market Analyst, Jerry Miller. Hi, Jerry. Uh, morning, all. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, so uh, today, well, there's all sorts going on, uh, really, uh, as ever at the moment, uh, as it is, but um, we're talking about sub-zero interest rates. We're talking about the equity markets uh, being as resilient as they are, uh, and we're talking about, I guess, stocks having um, some bad times and some of the earnings uh, results, like of Ryanair and so on. Uh, so there's an awful lot to go through today. But um, Jerry, do you want to do you want to kick us off? You know, what's what's been happening over the last few days? What what, what do we know? Uh, what do we know? Well, markets certainly today, anyway, they've done rather well, haven't they? Um, all up on the back of uh, just sort of, sort of a bit of optimism uh, seeping into the markets again, following um, a bit of a wobble sort of early middle of last week. And I think with oil firmer as well, uh, there's a definite sort of feeling that we're sort of exiting some of the more extreme lockdown measures. Uh, and that's why you're seeing all these uh, indices up this morning. Uh, last week, uh, they had a bit of a tough time. The FTSE shed 136 points, which is about, what, 2.3%. The Dow lost 645. S&P lost 66 points. So that's sort of ranging between sort of two and a quarter and 2.7% uh, down on the week. Uh, in Germany, the DAX lost uh, 439%, in fact, probably one of the worst performing markets last week, uh, whilst the Nikkei benefited from a, a weaker yen, uh, falling a, only 140 points, which is less than 1%. Uh, but I think the main reasons last week, um, we heard all about the, the tensions between uh, the United States and China, and certainly Trump in this election year is ratcheting it up uh, to well, to come over as the strong man and, and, and more likely to expose Biden as, as someone who is going to be weak when dealing with China. Uh, and it's regarded as the, the, the fight between the, the world's two superpowers, certainly economic superpowers anyway. Um, you can see actually a similar sort of um, uh, play happening with uh, the World Health Organization because he's been stopping the payments or you know, threatening not to restart them and so on. Um, yeah, I, I saw I, an article on that today. It's a similar sort of policy, isn't it? He just wants to yeah. be as, as strong as possible. Yeah, and also they're, they're, they're quite keen to try and bring in uh, Taiwan into the uh, World Health Organization fold. But of course, uh, up until now, and it still is the case, that it's not recognized as a separate country for fear of upsetting China, which regards it, regards it just as a, as a breakaway region. Um, and so that, that that's another sort of US-China tension, if you want to... Uh, I call it, yeah. Mm, okay. Um, and central bankers uh, and economists, um, well, they're, they're they're sort of less rosy than the stock market might suggest. Um, you know, no, I say I know overall we were down last week, but a bit of a slight recovery in the last couple of days, wasn't there? Enough yeah, we we, we had a bit of a bounce certainly in the last couple of days, but the uh, uh, just just over the last month, two months, really, Adrian, that the, the central bankers and economists, how we lump them all together, uh, they seem to be painting a less rosy picture than the markets would uh, lead you to believe. Um, I think uh, we saw better manufacturing data last week, better US manufacturing, better industrial production numbers, and better consumer confidence on Friday as well. And I think that helped lift the mood going into the weekend. Uh, but it is the fact that they are ten, they're, very, they're more glass half empty uh, a lot of central bankers, uh, the likes of uh, Jay Powell, who was talking on CBS yesterday, 
uh, was really saying that he felt it was going to take uh, until 2021 before the um, economy uh, fully recovered. Uh, and he thinks whilst uh, unemployment will recover or employment will recover, there's going to be a significant hit to it. And I just think the markets tend to gloss over it a little bit and then focus on, you know, the stocks that are going up and then the rest of the, the poorly performing stocks get dragged up to a certain extent. Uh, well, I guess to some extent, it's hard to know what skeletons are lurking, isn't it? Unless we can actually see the detail of the balance sheet in real time. You just, you've got to make yeah. a sort of the best guess, I guess. Haven't you? I yeah, I, 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 I think that's basically it. But, you know, we were talking before we went on air that, you know, it, it's, it's the industries are doing well. The companies obviously are doing well. But actually, are they doing well? A lot of them are not able to publish any results. They're not allowed. They can't even give guidance because they don't know what's going on. Uh, and so obviously that clarity will start to improve, but it's quite a bold move in a way. You could say with the stock market rallying like it has done. Um, yeah. sort of just, it, it just seems that they're using that classic sort of blindly buying it and accepting in good faith that the, the, the world central bankers, the, the Federal Reserve, the most important central bank in the world, the US central bank, uh, and the US government and other European central banks and Far East central banks and governments will do as much as they can to ensure that investors do end up um, profiting from this. I say profiting from this or recovering their position. Let's, let's face it, no one's made much money in this, have they? Um, no. It, it's a curious thing that though, because whilst the government will come to the rescue, if they do what they did in the UK in 2008 with the banks, what do they, what do, they do there? I, they created shares, took a massive uh, ownership, and by creating shares, you dilute the value of the shares. So really, it's going to impact shareholders. Okay, the company might continue, yeah. but you're going to have, a, um, if you double the number of shares, uh, then it's going to half the price, uh, effectively. Well, um, I guess there is this question whether they should be rescuing certain businesses. But of course, we don't look at the businesses, that, at least the media doesn't. They talk about rescuing jobs, protecting jobs. Furloughing is pretty indiscriminate, isn't it, Adrian? You know, mm. if you've got a, a, a company that's owned offshore by uh, the main shareholder that lives in Monaco, uh, where, you know, half the staff are, staff are furloughed, i.e., paid for by the government, which is funded by us taxpayers. Is that right? But of course, it's right to protect the jobs out there. But those jobs are, you know, working for companies that aren't always uh, contributing in the way that you would hope they would to the, U the UK exchequer. Otherwise, you're going to make a game. If you don't help furloughing those people then you're, you're making a gamble that they're going to find a job with a british company or a, as you might call a more uh, um, definitive well, british company if that's even such a thing um and uh, they're going to get a job there because you're right you well, got to protect the jobs themselves it, it doesn't actually really matter where they get a job the fact is the government is attempting to protect those jobs that would normally be redundant in this situation i.e there's no work for those people working in those jobs and what the furlough scheme effectively does it makes it gives the well gives the individual the money through the tax system so the company can keep them on and furlough them rather than make them redundant 
now well of course a lot of people were furloughed uh, right before sorry they were they were let go they were sacked uh, or let go before the furloughing scheme came on so we talk about some of the unemployment data coming through um actually they've been sort of rebadged as furloughed because they were allowed to do that weren't they yeah i think they were that's right yeah because it the scheme did start after a couple of the airlines had announced that they were going to let go a big swathe of uh, their uh, workforce um I mean, there is a view from some quarters that a lot of people who are furloughed are actually being made redundant. They just don't know it yet, i.e. they're going to be yeah. made redundant uh, in the month or in the weeks. Delaying the inevitable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but at least it gives time for businesses to decide. That's the important thing. Now, if, if, if people who work for companies that are offshore, as it were, or based offshore, but employ lots of people here. If those people are made redundant, it's a sad, it's very, it's bad news for the economy. Those people will not have any money in the short term to spend. They need to then look for another job. And this, the environment won't be good for looking for jobs, will it? Um, and, and, and I think the important thing for governments, regardless of who owns what companies and where, um, I think the idea is to try to give as much hope to as many businesses and many employees as possible so that they're there when conditions change and that they have got an, a viable uh, job to go back to. I think that's why some of the advice has been to help people go back on a part-time basis. So you're finding a lot of the labourers um, perhaps going to go back and do you know, two or three days a week and so the full thing. So everyone has a job to some degree. And I think the argument is that they can help with the furloughing scheme so they can part contribute instead of being fully furloughed. You can sort of be mm. a part time furlough. Um, then that actually keeps more people in jobs rather than letting half your workforce go. Let's say there's 20 men on a building site. You'd probably have to let 10 of those go because of social distancing. Uh, you just couldn't really do it. But if you can keep all 20 on part time, then actually keeps 20 people in work, doesn't it? Yeah, no, that's, that, that's that's a good point. Of course, it, it is a bit all or nothing furloughing, isn't it, at, at this stage? But I think the right. Rishi Sunak is, uh, that's the proposal from, I think, from the end of July that uh, the government works with um, businesses to wean people off furloughing, if you know what I mean, which basically means the government contributing less towards the cost of an employee, whilst that employee then then can go back to work for two, three, four days a week. And I think that's a sensible way of getting out of it. And there is this argument that a lot of people have got very used to staying at home. I'm not saying they're doing it voluntarily they, they're having to furlough um, and they're having to stay at home because of the lockdown measures but it still means it's going to be difficult to get people back working efficiently um, with all the issues to do with uh, commuting trains can only take 10 or 20 percent of their capacity yeah. stations will be in lockdown if too many people turn up you know it's just it's it's a whole mindful when i think about all this agent i just think i'm on the side of the economist i can't understand what, how the market is as optimistic as it is but the fact is you can't you know the market's spoken you've got to make sure you listen to it yeah you know? well the other thing schooling as well isn't it you know you're talking about kids going back to school but a lot of parents probably don't want their kids to go back to school right now maybe some do but i think some don't as well from a health perspective but they do for other reasons um but it's you know unless you've got somewhere for your kids to go a lot of people actually can't go back to work you know no that's right and we're going to come back to uh we're going to be the summer holidays relatively soon and 
what would you then normally do? Well, normally you'd rely on grandparents and so on, probably to look after your kids for at least a couple of two or three weeks of that, probably. Um, and you're not going to be able to do that now. Uh, well, it's, I, it's gonna, I, I, I'm not an edu educationalist and I'm not really probably uh, qualified to, to comment on it, but why have a holiday? Why, yeah. why have a summer holiday? They need to go back to school just because it's traditionally a summer holiday, but this is not a traditional year. Uh, I reckon as soon as it's possible, kids should go back to school, whether it be July or August. What the hell? You know? Well, it's right. not like we're going out abroad on holiday, is it? So, well, there you go. Um, that's, that's, that's exactly right, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, other bits uh, of the uh, market, but foreign exchange, we had a bit of a flat week on the US dollar. At least that's what it seemed until you look at sterling. Wow, what happened there? Um, two, yeah. 2.3 cents fall. Um, if you, yeah, that's the four idea. That's great. That yeah. really shows it pretty well, doesn't it? Um, I guess a couple of reasons really, Adrian. Um, the um, negotiations with the uh, EU have not gone fantastically well. That's the Brexit negotiations. Uh, and sterling has been undermined by that. But also there have been increasing comments uh, and speculation about uh, the UK cutting interest rates further uh, and going into negative territory. They're currently at uh, plus 0.1%, which is hardly positive, Aidan, but it's, it is yeah. for the time being. So uh, what does that mean fundamentally uh, for, for those out there? It means that what, we're going to be charged money to hold um, money at our banks? or, well, or what well, does it mean? Well, that, that, that's interesting. It, it took, it's taken a while for some banks, uh, commercial banks, to start charging um, depositors uh, a fee, effectively, which is a negative interest rate. But I, I, I just can't see that happening. And I think um, Andrew Bailey has gone out of his way to say he thinks it may cause a problem um, uh, with uh, the banking sector and complicating the task of uh, really what he said, managing market reactions. So he, he's publicly stated that uh, that he, and this is Andrew Bay, the, the government of the Bank of England, just to remind ourselves, mm. um, uh, he said they're not contemplating such a move. But it's interesting that the money market futures, uh, contracts that tell us what the central, what, what, okay, what the bank lending rate will be next year. Uh, and from March 2021 and beyond, uh, the market is predicting that interest rates will be negative. So because of that, investors are basically positioning themselves for a rate cut sometime uh, before March 21 from the current levels of 0.1% to zero or below. And of course, what that does to sterling is that um, as an investor, uh, if you don't get a return, if you're, if you're getting a return on your money and then some uh, sometime in the future you then get less of a return and you can get a better return holding another currency like the us dollar why would you hold sterling and that's what's undermining sterling so the dollar is relatively stable last week apart from sterling which was weak against the dollar and that's because of this speculation about a cut in a further cut in interest rates to a negative uh, level interesting enough they're not even contemplating that in the united states um, Jay Powell just said uh, it's not something that they would be looking to do. Uh, they prefer to uh, use other monetary policy measures to control things rather than um, engaging in negative interest rates.
I wonder if, um, you know, if, if a month or so ago we had the uh, sh uh, the price of oil, uh, uh, US oil goes sub sub zero, um, and a lot of brokers couldn't actually deal with a negative price, so they kind of not exactly crashed, but they sort of stopped at zero, whereas it went minus thirty seven dollars a barrel. I wonder if. Um, all these banks actually have the systems to be able to charge interest instead of uh, pay. Interest. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, the answer to that is I wouldn't know, but that's a very good point. Um, and so would, they, would they? But would they want to? Because I could see if I was a bank, and I, you know, you, a bank needs customers' deposits to help yeah. sort of lend the money out. That's how banks work. I mean, it's a it's a catastrophe for banks if interest rates go negative, because it basically means their retail book is is just shot to pieces. So how can they make money? Yeah. My guess is they'll start to charge other ways, other things. You know, well, more no, you're, you're right. They, they, they've always got ways, haven't they? Um, yeah. But, um, you know, the likes of Marcus, the, the, the challenger sort of online savings bank, from Goldman Sachs, Aldermore, um, you know, Metro, Virgin Money. These are very competitive banks, Adrian. And, you know, we I hate to get excited about a return of 1%, but Goldman Sachs' markers, they cut their rate twice in the last two months, obviously because of what's happened with the um, base rate. Um, but it's still at 1%. Yeah. You know? It's not 0.1%, it's 1%. So if we go negative, I mean, I, I wouldn't hesitate from uh, moving money to uh, to save uh, with one of those banks because um, I'm not going to pay to have my money looked after by a bank. And actually, I think it's, it's sort of counterintuitive. I, I'm not sure what, there is this sort of, uh, you know, the, the weird effect that could happen to, um, uh, retail investors or retail depositors where it I mean some economists feel it could be self-defeating where the it causes real anxiety amongst retail savers where individuals feel if they're going to be charged money to keep their money in the bank they've got to save even more to offset the fact that they're losing some of their savings each year so in fact cutting rates to, to negative which was designed to stimulate spending and investment actually could have the opposite effect with with retail savers so that's I'm, fascinating actually that's a really it's a really interesting uh, view actually it kind of brings me right back to my economics days at school where we learned about the uh, irish potato famine where um as prices of potatoes went screaming up uh, demand went even higher because uh, people couldn't afford bacon and cabbage or whatever else you used to eat with it without going to stereotype, but that's what uh, we were taught. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's what we were taught at school, all, all that Irish people ate. Um, and uh, so instead of that, they'd, they'd eat less of the expensive stuff like bacon and they would buy more potatoes uh, instead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a sim that's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's weird. But, but, but it's not, but the tradition, the traditional school of thought is that by you know, you you cut rates to such an extent that investors and, and, and retail depositors think, oh, there's no point saving money, I might as well spend it. Well, really? Or would you invest it? I mean, it's a bit like banks being forced to lend money out to, com to companies rather than hoard cash. Um, but if interest rates were at minus 1%, minus 2%, would you then lend, instead of 
suffering a cost of 2% per annum, would you then lend it out to a, a company that you thought could go bust and you could lose 100% of your money? <laughs> um, these are real practical questions that a lot of banks are having to consider and a lot of retail customers have to consider. And that's why I'm surprised that these forward contracts, uh, the forward forwards are telling us that, you know, um, the base rate could be below 1% in March next year. I just, I just, I don't know, I can't see it happening. I'm not sure that it's worked particularly well in those countries that have adopted negative rates like in Switzerland, Japan. Well, you know, we talked earlier about the stock market being as strong as it is, and we've talked a long time and with, with Tina, and there is no alternative. But of course, if interest rates are, are talking about going lower than they even are right now, um, then, you know, they're just fuels the drive to buy its stocks yeah there is, there, there is definitely no alternative after that but again you know companies that get bad news you see them slump and then they gradually recover again it's like even the even the bad companies are being dragged up by their collars uh, by the good companies i'm not saying dramatically so because the market is still well below um, where we were um, in uh, mid-february but look at the Nasdaq, as we said last week, the Nasdaq's up on the year. Yeah, <laughs> this is just it's almost cloud cuckoo land for some people who, who look at who can see all the tea leaves, can see all the evidence of how badly the economies have been smashed. And yet everyone believes that everything is going to be righted fairly quickly. And I just um, I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I mean, as you say, the, the stock market usually will sort of look maybe a year, 15 months in advance, and I guess it's had this shock, and maybe that's what it's doing. Time will tell, uh, Jerry, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what it does do. Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, at the moment, it's discounting the good news. It's discounting the fact that economies are uh, easing these lockdown measures, and they're discounting the fact that economic activity is going to pick up. Uh, and we're going to see that in some of the data coming out at the end, uh, you know, this week. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had I think it was on yesterday we had the the lowest, um, and it's a weekend. It tends to get lower numbers any anyway. But I think we had our lowest number in the UK, didn't we, of, of reported deaths? And we're definitely on a downward trend at the moment. But it's a, it's all about that second wave, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about the shape of uh, the the recovery, whether it's going to be a, a V, U, a Nike tick, or some people call it the W, where it it goes down, recovers, and then has a second infection, and then goes back up again. I mean, and how long that is to take, I, I really don't know. Um, but I, I I'm of the opinion that you know, and I've said this before, that we've got to let the less vulnerable. Uh, members of our society, which is typically the people younger than the age of 40 or even older than that, um, get back to, to working and, and, and um, you know, they've got less risk to, to in, in, in what they do. They're less vulnerable to the disease where uh, we just protect the people who are particularly vulnerable, who've got, as I've always said, have got the least to you to lose financially. Um, it's it's just uh, something we just have to take on the chin at some stage, I suspect. It'll be made a lot dip better and a lot easier once we've got uh, viable therapies that uh, uh, prevent people from, you know, suffering the, some of the awful consequences on ventilators and stuff. And also once there's a vaccine. Yeah. But look yeah. at the vaccine. Where's a vaccine going to come from? Well, this is the thing. You had some some people just come and say, "Oh, we'll have a vaccine in May." I remember, I seem to remember um, one or two people yeah. saying it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, whereas, obviously, the, the the people who know were saying, "Well, it's going to be at least a year." 
and, uh, well, uh, and no, Trump, no Trump, no Donald Trump says there's going to be one at the end of 2020. And that actually is quite interesting because that's despite this champ, Anthony Fauci, uh, F-A-U-C-I, who was head of the tropical diseases arm of some wing uh, of something. Um, he said that a vaccine would take between a year and 18 months. And then this chap from the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority came out and said, no, 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 it won't take a, a year to 18 months. It's going to take longer than that, <laughs> to which Trump would have loved to sack him, sack him, but he's already been sacked by Trump. <laughs> he can't gag him anymore. My, uh, my my guess is that he'll Trump will be doing whatever he can to try and get uh, a vaccine to come in just before polling day um, for the uh, presidential election. Yeah. Like that. Well, he'll, be, well, he'll, he'll be trying to gear it before then, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the numbers in the US are pretty horrendous. It's no, they've now got a, a third of all coronavirus um, infections. And um, the, I don't know, the death rate is well above 100,000 now. Uh, and it's 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 not slowing anything like uh, some of the European curves were slowing at this time. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't whole... help. They get a load of misinformation. It doesn't help when your president's telling you to drink bleach uh, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, it's not quite, not quite no. what you need. You're no. commander in chief, is it? I know that's it, slightly out it, of context. It, but, it, um... it is, his language is, is something to behold, isn't it? But uh, uh, anyway, um, so Trump thinks there's going to be a vaccine. I, I think it's possible that we will have a vaccine. But but the the problem is when you've got a vaccine, it then has to be produced because you've got millions of people that will need it, hundreds of millions. That that takes months to set up. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, if they have a vaccine that they proved is working, and and this the Oxford University and Imperial College um, uh, vaccine that they're trialing that they've um, got with a hundred, I think a big a thousand. Um, uh, people who have been tested on it. Um, there have been no adverse effects. I know one's been made ill because of the vaccine, but of course now they've got to wait for some of them to be infected and see what the consequences are. Uh, but of course, that, that depends on whether they do to get infected. But um, when, it, when they do discover that and when they do all the checks and balances, we'll probably be into sort of September, October time, and then they've got to make the damn thing. Uh, so that's not going to be happening until six months after that. So I, you know, They've always said March next year. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Um, okay, so Jerry, shall we um, shall we head to the calendar and have a look at um, last yep. week and, and this week? Yep. Uh, so um, anything anything of note for last week? You mentioned some of the data being a little bit better, some of it being uh, a little bit worse as well. Retail yeah, sales. Yeah, it, it, it was the we we had some good. Um, well, right at the end of the week, which is always positive for the markets, was the University of Michigan consumer sentiment number, which really uh, lifted the market. Something that's not listed um, here, I think if you, uh, it's on the uh, low impact data, but um, we had some good industrial production numbers in the US as well, um, or at least better than expected. Um, let me just quickly check that for you. Uh, I might be mistaken, actually. Um, sorry, let me just check. I'm looking at my own calendar as we speak. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we had slightly better um, capacity utilization and industrial production numbers. That was it. Because bizarrely, when I was, um, you know, uh, <laughs> 
learning the business, capacity utilization industrial production numbers were really important numbers. And now they've been relegated by Forest Factory to low impact numbers. But industrial production, Adrian, 11.2% for uh, in a, a contraction by 11.2% was slightly better than the market had been forecasting. Capacity utilization better than expected. Empire State Manufacturing Index on Friday. Uh, Empire State, that's New York State. Believe it or not, New York State is a very big state and it's got a lot of manufacturing in it, especially in the northern part of the state. Minus 48 and a half. Um, was expected at minus 65 and a lot better than the minus 78, which was in um, uh, March's number. So there was some good data um, right at the end of the week. And I think that sort of encouraged the markets. Don't get me wrong. It's still horrendous, but it's mm. be, it's, be, it's better than really horrendous. It's just horrendous. Yeah, there's some comfort in that, isn't there, that it's not quite as horrendous as it might have been. Um, so. But we, we had that in the UK, didn't we? We had the, the GDP data come out at uh, 2%, was expected at 2.6%. Look at that. Yeah. Um, and the German number, slightly better, but not actually not as not as good as the, um, the UK number. Look on Friday, uh, minus 2.2%. Um, compare that with the UK's 2%. But Germany's mm. been hit so badly, you know, their engineering, cars, I mean, just who's buying a car? We've had the conversation before, but no one's buying any cars. So no. that's, a, that's a problem. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, so um, what of uh, the week ahead, Jerry? Let's uh, whiz through this, okay. shall we? Yeah, we can uh, zoom through it. Uh, we've already had data out in Japan, uh, although it's, uh, again, in um, products factors wisdom, they've not made it a high impact number, but uh, GDP data for the previous quarter uh, was negative. Uh, so it's official. Uh, there is a recession in Japan, so that's two quarters of negative growth. Um, which is the first, I believe, since, uh, and it was better than expected, minus 0.9% mm. instead of minus 0.1.1, but it's still negative. Um, and that's the first recession since 2015. But Japan seems to have more recessions than most for some reason. It sort of bump, bumps mm. along the bottom without really getting any traction uh, in Japan. Yes, um, when you say the first recession since 2015, you, it's not really that positive, is it? Really? No. <laughs> No, they seem to have them quite regularly, more regularly than we than other Western economies do, that's for sure. Um, Tuesday, uh, we've got what well, they call it the claimant count. Um, that's the unemployment data in the uh, UK. Um, the furlough scheme has definitely helped uh, because anyone who's furloughed is not registered as unemployed. But I think we're still expecting a horrible number. Four to 500,000 job losses is what's expected uh, there. Um, yeah, it doesn't really say there, Adrian, but that's uh, no. what's expected overall. Um, also, not shown here, uh, but I'm going to bring it to your attention. Actually, it is shown. Uh, the German uh, ZEW, is that on there? No, it might be of a different category. That This is coming out on Tuesday. The It's called the um, ZEW yeah, survey. So we're calibrating everything, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, do you see the ZEW uh, economic yeah. sentiment survey? Yeah. Um, we're expecting a, a rise in what we call expectations reading, which is like a leading uh, indicator. Uh, so that was something that the market will look quite closely at. Um, but the it'll be offset by a, a particularly horrible reading for the current situation. So what what's happening now is horrible, but what is expected to happen is more positive, if you get what I mean. So, um, and that's uh, something the market will look quite closely at, despite the fact that it's only got a, a low impact reading from um, 
Forex Factory. Um, Jay Powell, uh, he's talking again. That's a, that's a red one. Uh, we can definitely highlight that one quite easily. Uh, he's testifying uh, in Congress on uh, coronavirus aid and relief and all the bits and pieces that he's done. So I'm not sure that'll have much impact, really, Adrian, um, myself. Uh, Wednesday, uh, we jump to the UK. We've got the uh, CPI data, the Consumer Price Index, or inflation, as uh, we used to call it. Uh, it might soon be called deflation. What, what's, what are we expecting for deflation this month? Um, a big fall, Adrian, um, yeah. down to 1% um, from 1.5%. Golly, can you remember the, uh, well, it was a few years ago now, but 4, 4.8, 4.5%. We couldn't understand why inflation wouldn't come down. And now they've got no control over inflation in the bank. Uh, the chances of them to be I'm not sure they care about inflation at this stage, Adrian, but um, 1%. Why? Well, economic activity has completely slumped uh, as we're in lockdown mode. I know we're now easing some of them, but it's going to be a slow recovery, though. Um, so oil yeah, and the main, part of our main basket is buying um, petrol. And of course, that's fallen, what, 30% or whatever, 25%. Yeah. I mean, um, but, but interestingly, you know, you go to your, do your local, do your shop at, you know, the, the main supermarkets and, they're not as cheap as they were, and uh, they're not doing the offers that they were. So that's, I, I think the oil price uh, fall is being offset because you, you'd argue from oil that really the CPI would probably be lower than that. But I think, um, I think the supermarkets. Yeah. Are well, it's interesting. I, I think my, my wife says that uh, the shopping is more expensive. Definitely. Yeah. There are no yeah, what they call bog offs. Um, and if you use a cardo, and let's face it, that was the initial, the only way you could get food delivered. I know Tesco do theirs, but a lot of the others have caught up and increased capacity significantly. But apparently, our Ocado prices have gone up 16%. Yeah. yeah. It'd be cheaper to shop at Fortnum and Mason, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah. Oh, from Ocado. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it's quite interesting. My, my daughter lives in Hong Kong, and... Um, they got all their um, sort of expat provisions from a, a, super, a supermarket called Great. And um, they had some around for breakfast the other day and it was all Waitrose, Waitrose dips and Waitrose yogurt. <laughs> and, and my daughter said, it's probably cheaper than a Cardo in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just not right. It's just not right. No. Anyway, but as you said, that's offsetting uh, things to a certain extent. But remember, with <laughs> oil, uh, oil is used in a lot of um, industrial production. Um, it's it's obviously used in delivery of finished goods, etc., and transport. But there's not a lot of transport going on. And we all talked about the cut in petrol and diesel, Adrian. But I don't know about you. I've probably spent about fifty quid on diesel in the last two months <laughs> i filled up yesterday for the first time since uh lockdown and when i when we went into lockdown i had two i had 200 miles left uh, on my, on my yeah. clock so that's how long it's taken me yeah it just it's goes good. to show you well we're not yeah. supposed to be going anywhere are we but uh, no, yeah. the only time i use mine is to drive to the office and back and that's it um, yeah yeah so anyway so there we go no inflation uh one percent wow um what that'll mean uh, i'm not i don't know but uh be interesting I, I think if there was a surprise on the upside that could cause a bit of a blip in sterling agent for sure because uh, mm. that really would upset the apple cart if it was one percent or a bit below that really wouldn't i guess um thursday um we've a lot of pmi uh, data coming out um on thursday and friday i should say but it's the uh in the uk uh, we've got uh, manufacturing and services PMI data in the UK. Um, 
So just to remind us, this is uh, this is how purchasing managers. This is how we're investing, and businesses are investing, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's literally a survey of those people who are responsible for buy uh, buying. So in terms of purchasing goods for manufacturing and services, so um, they poll uh, the purchasing managers, and they've got this index. Uh, if more than half um, report a positive um, report, then the number is above 50. And if it's below 50, uh, the sector is effectively contracting. Fewer managers are reporting an increase in their activity, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But we're talking about numbers at 20. It was at 13.4 for the reading in April for March. A move to 20, that's positive. And the manufacturing index as well, picking up from 32.6 to 35, it's positive as well. Uh, but these are pretty ridiculously low levels. I've never, ever seen them this low, but then they've not been going that long, 20 or 20 years or so. Mm. Um, anyway, so that's um, that PMI uh, data. We've got um, the regular weekly um, unemployment claims in the United States, which has become a weekly event now. Um, it's always been a, published, but no one's ever paid a blind bit of notice to it. Only the monthly non-farm payroll data but uh, as you can see we had a bit of a surprise week number last Thursday for the United States 2.98 million uh, lost their jobs last week uh, and another 2.4 million are expected this week which I don't know it's what's it taking the total up to 34 million or something I mean mm. it's it's shocking I mean it's shocking but as Jay Powell said all those jobs a lot of those jobs are temporary losses but it's when you add up all those numbers, Aidan, I, oh, my math isn't that good, but it adds up to quite a lot of jobs. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it just? Yeah. 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 So, so that's an important uh, number on uh, Thursday, and that hit the markets this time last week. But uh, they, they swooned and then they just rallied as the financial stocks all picked up. And the financial stocks in the US picked up because Jay Powell said they wouldn't have negative interest rates. So. <laughs> Uh, there's uh, the the Lord taketh away and then the Lord giveth on that one. Mm. Uh, then we have uh, the U US's flash manufacturing PMI, so the same uh, type of reading, but for United States uh, manufacturing, uh, and the number slightly ahead of uh, the UK's, but uh, yeah, a slight pickup as some of the um, businesses uh, go back to work. Um, as you know, uh, the likes of Tesla in California doing it without permission and other companies as well. Um, but uh, it's a slow process. It ain't mm. a V, Adrian. It's not a V. No. no. Um, okay, uh, we'll probably need to just push on a little bit. I won't go through it. Uh, um, Jay Powell speaking again in the evening on Thursday. Uh, on Friday, uh, we have retail sales uh, in the, the UK. Um, the, all this data now is published at seven o'clock in the morning, a bit like the bank, uh, the decisions from the, the Monetary Policy Committee, because uh, no one is meeting to discuss these things. It's all released um, early doors now. Um, last uh, month uh, for the retail sales in March, uh, we recorded a figure of minus 5.1, which was the fastest fall on record for retail sales. But wow. nothing compared to the collapse in sales in April. So we're expecting a fall of 16%. I mean, uh, um, okay, so effectively they're looking to come in at similar numbers to as was published on Friday last week in the States. In the States, uh, 16%, yeah. 16%, yeah. 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 
just yeah but but it's just interesting and i remember when it came out this time last month i think god it's got to be worse than april surely and of course april is when all the severe lockdown was occurring and no one was doing anything 16 percent. i i I could be worse maybe i don't know Uh, and then adrian as you can see we've got all the um pmi data for the uh, services and manufacturing sectors in the eurozone uh, Germany, France, then an overall reading for uh, the um, euro area, uh, which you can see there at 38 for manufacturing and thir- 20, 23.9 for services. Did it really get down to 12? <laughs> I mean, just extraordinary. Um, I think, um, will it give enough hope to the markets? Will it underpin the markets? It's a big question, but there is a strong there's a body of research that says the market tends to follow the uh, pick up in uh, the PMI data, which can be quite a, a, a bellwether of, uh, of economic activity. So I think the markets will look quite closely at the Eurozone uh, data just to see if that is the case and whether uh, they are benefiting from the easing of the lockdown measures. Yeah, well, okay. Um, well, that's pretty much it then, isn't it, um, yep. Mr. Miller? Yep, that's, that's um, the week. Okay. Yep. There you go. So we'll, we'll call it an end uh, to the session there, everybody. Hopefully you found it uh, a useful podcast. We, we, we hope they are. Um, so if you'd like to tune into more, we, we're available and online every Monday. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can find us on uh, YouTube, um, all sorts of places, iTunes. Just search for the Trend Signal podcast online. Um, if you'd like to learn about some more about trading and some live events that we're running, we've got a few events on this week. Um, so you can learn... What one of our trading strategies uh, by attending one of our live online events. We've got uh, three a week uh, typically, uh, and you can find more about the scheduling and the times that are available by going to this web page here. So if you can see it, you can you know, transpose it yourself, but I'll read it out anyway, bit.ly, so bit.ly slash learn TS. So bit.ly slash learn TS, that's a short link. that will take you to the registration page and you can book in for one of our live upcoming webinar events. And we'll teach you a strategy, we'll teach you a lot more about the markets and hopefully you'll end the session a much more educated trader than when you started. So um, guys, I'm going to call it an end now, but uh, tune in next week. Happy trading in the meantime, and um, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye for now. Okay, bye for now.